I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. The Brighter Side is brought to you by Audible.com. Go to audibletrial.com slash brighter side for your free trial. How's everyone doing? This is the brighter side, and this is gonna be the brighter side of family. And uh, this past week, sorry, we took a week off, but uh, me and Amber had soul-searching missions. Oh yeah, just pick a suitcase and go off and see your family. That's right, and you got to do that sometimes. Yeah, and it's probably best not planned. Uh, not that a, uh, you know, mine was a, mine was a, my dad got sick, and I had to go run out and see my dad. And uh, we've talked about him on the show before, and. Uh, we don't have the best relationship, haven't talked in four years, seen him once in the past 15. So basically thought he was going to die, ran out there sick as a dog and tried to uh, make amends. And that was uh, basically what I went through. And then Amber just needed some time to. I needed to. Well, I needed to work on a pilot, but most importantly, I wanted to see my family yeah. and just kind of take some time to myself. Well, the pilot was the excuse. It was kind of an excuse, yeah. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't, you didn't really need to work on a pilot. You can work on a pilot whenever you want. It's just, you know, you just need to get out and kind of like hit that reset button and start your, you know, and the best place to do that is with family. Yep. And just kind of sit alone sometimes and allow yourself to be bored. You you really start thinking about what's going on in your life. I realized I drank too much. Mm -hmm. I drank way too much. I need to stop doing that. You got that big can of seltzer in front of you now, and I got a hot tea. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Neither. Was a drinking. We're usually just like pounding booze. Um, I haven't really spoken to people in like two weeks, so this interview I might be like, "Hi, words are awkward." <laughs> yeah, and it's just uh, you know you gotta remember it's just not just you know people who don't live at home and you live far away from your family. It's not you know Christmas and Thanksgiving that's cool, but you know you gotta go home some other time of the year so you can actually take an unstressful time and just kind of connect with everybody and. Uh, and just reset your feelings and you can get over any problems you have with someone just by talking to them and being around them and reminding yourself that you guys uh, are blood and you need to be friends and you, you do everything you can to, to make that work. Yeah. And uh, I just, uh, that's what happened with me. And, uh, and you have a, you have a, you have a really good relationship with your, with your family though. Right. I mean, you have a, it's like hit and miss, right? Sort of. Well, we never really get together for family gatherings. Mm-hmm. And they said, um, 
my brothers were like, there was a marathon, and one of my brothers went to go run the marathon, and um, the other one lives in New Orleans, so I thought, well, I'll just go down there. And, you know, the other brother didn't even show up. Mm-hmm. So we can never get anybody in the same room. Um, I remember, oh, I'll, I'll say what, no, I, keep, yeah, keep what I was saying earlier. There was a family get-together like a few years ago. Um, we're all very independent, and we all can't be in the same room with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I left early to go do a showcase in New York, and uh, come to find out the showcase had like two people watching and nothing came of it. But I looked at the photo recently and I'm not in it. And I'm just the erased. The family photo. The family photo. I'm just erased from history. And I'm like, what was more important? Yeah. You know? So now you got to get another family photo. Yeah, but we can never be in the same room together. And it's a mess. It's a mess. Where does everyone live? Your brother's, uh, One, Ben's in New Orleans. Ben's in New Orleans. One's in Houston. One's in Kansas. Oh. We're all just like different people which is weird because we all came from the same parents and the same background but mm-hmm. um, the two of my brothers are just like rabid Republicans um, which is fine yeah. but um, Trump supporters big Trump supporters but also yeah some some of the views they have I don't know it's just kind of weird one of them lives in Kansas and he's like come visit me in Kansas and I was like I'm not going to Kansas yeah <laughs> I mean that's how I felt my dad's like come visit me in Reno you know it's just like I'm not going to the worst city in America <laughs> I was. I had a. I wrote a tweet. I was just like, I never felt. I never been in the city where I feel overqualified to be mayor. <laughs> That's great. So, um, your trip. So, what did you find out of yourself in New Orleans? I mean, you obviously you had some good time just listening to music and reconnecting with Ben. And uh, we have an interview where the, you and Ben talk about your family. We'll listen to in a second. But um, Ben, uh, it's just we've talked about it before. But but Ben is a very accomplished man himself. He's the first gay astronaut yeah well first openly gay astronaut uh-huh. you know in in space uh lord knows um what's her name sally ride well you know she was questionable i'm sure she was a lesbian <laughs> and uh <laughs> but uh you know he's, he's a very successful very successful man and uh i'm sure you look up to him a great deal yeah i do i think because he my other two brothers uh they got married and had children very early and I think that really stunts your... Um... So they're kind of like connected and you and Ben are kind of connected. Yeah. And that yeah, makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. And if they're listening, I still love them. But yeah, th- yeah, those two and us two. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's obvious. Republicans and, you know, Democrats and, yeah. you know, French Quarter sipping booze and, on the, you know, <laughs> noon on a Wednesday, you know, yeah. compared to going to work every day in Kansas. I mean, it's a different lifestyle. There's no debating it. Different life. Uh, what, what was the question again? I there was no question. We're just talking. Uh, <laughs> again, I haven't spoken to people in weeks and weeks. My brain is just like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get back into stand-up. Yeah. My first stand-up said, I, I got to go to a mic or something just to be like, hello. <laughs> well, there's one here at 4 p.m. There is? Yeah. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> so let's get, in, let's get into that interview where you and Ben talk about your family, and uh, let's uh, then we'll dive deeper into that. Mm. Hong Kong... It's going to be a, a really one of the one of the first destinations. That, that Love to go. To, yeah, Hong Kong sounds amazing. I remember going. I don't know if you were there. You went with us when you were a baby. Mother would go like every year with with some of her friends. But um, I do. I remember. I remember sitting. I sort of most memories I have as a child. I remember like running away from mom and dad and just sort of being alone. But I remember I was sort of maybe they put me somewhere or I ran away. But I remember sitting by a fountain. Gorgeous fountain, and my remember mom coming in and saying, "Amber, where are you? We've been looking for you." 
and I ran to her. I think you did that a lot when you were a baby, because you did that, I, I, was, I was the one who took care of you for the most part. I don't know if that, you remember that. Vaughn was a little older, he wasn't always there, Brandon was too young. And I was the one who ended up changing your diapers, taking care of you, warming up your Simulac, babysitting. I did all of that for years and years. But I remember one time, in particular, when we were in Paris, and you just disappeared. I, I don't think I'd ever been so terrified in my life. I couldn't find you. I could not find you. And I looked everywhere, and you had knocked over some guy's uh, stand of like all his, he had all this stuff, you know, crap he was selling. And I knocked it over? Five or six years old, he stumbled into it, knocked it over. He was picking things up. You created a bit of a commotion, and I was like, oh my God, there she is. I, I go over and I help this guy. You know, I'm like, Amber, don't you dare move. It was terrifying. <laughs> I remember running away from Mom in Saudi. We were at the, the market, and it was very crowded and chaotic. And she had me, and I was holding her hand. She was holding my hand. And I let go, and I just ran. And I, I remember looking at the sunset. And it was beautiful. I mean, the deserts in Saudi are oh, gorgeous. Oh, magnificent. Magnificent. Breathtaking. And I wandered, and I ran into a tent. It was a man's tent. And there was a young man, maybe 13 or 14, and men sitting around him, and they were all sitting around a food dish or something, and they, they looked at me and they started pointing and laughing. And I think I was like, hi! And then I remember a hand came in and grabbed me out, his mom. We, we, we would take you to the suits, and I remember people would always come up to you and touch your hair. We'd push you in a stroller, and people would just sort of like, grab a wisp of your hair as you were passing by in a stroller. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it, but, you know, they, they had to touch your hair. They had to, like, look at you. And, little girl. Yeah. That was a cute little girl in Sony. Oh, was yeah. Like, you were adorable, yeah. You were, you were very girly. You, were, you really were. You had all those, you know, frilly dresses. And you would wear a, de a, a different one throughout the afternoon, throughout the day. You would try on a different little frilly dress. What I requested, I'd be like, I want a different dress now. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, let me go get, let me go get them crowd. Look at it. I'll make you another cocktail. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing I wanted to touch on. I forgot. Because our family did, because they worked in Saudi, and you could travel everywhere, and we did have a bit of money. Yeah. But we both bonded over the fact that when we came to the States, we lost everything. And there was a certain point in our life where... Um, if we there was a lake out behind our house, and if you didn't catch fish out of the lake, you just didn't eat that day. Oof. It was really, really hard. And I remember, like, I remember thinking, I'm a little girl, and I shouldn't have to worry about fishing for dinner for the family. Uh, and then Ben left, everybody left, and that's another reason why the family just can't stay together in the same room. There's a lot of resentment. Yeah, just for like what turning poor once you guys got back to America. Yeah, turning poor. Um, yeah, it makes you. It makes you crazy it will you will kill somebody for for money yeah it's very uh, my family ended up going uh pretty broke there we uh i lived in boca raton the richest place that i one of the most richest places in, in america and we were the family that went poor trying to live there Ooh. and you know it was just like you know the slums of beverly hills type of thing and you know it was very interesting where it came to the uh the end of high school my dad moved away got a new job in uh in Massachusetts and my mom was staying with a friend and basically my second half of my senior year I was homeless what yeah I was living in my car I was you know just in, in uh, I was staying on friends couches and stuff like that and it was a really bizarre way of life and uh, to be take it being like homeless in a city that is so rich 
you know, it was a very, uh, very weird way to live my life. And at the time I was, I didn't care because I was partying all the time and I didn't have a curfew and I was, that's kind of how I looked at it. But, uh, you know, in retrospect, it was, uh, you know, thank God I was positive about it. I could have really went the wrong way in that situation. Yeah. You know, being, you know, poor is tough, especially coming from Saudi, where I'm sure you guys had a lot of money uh, in oil country there. And mm-hmm. it, also, I want I to talk, I was listening to your interview. That's the first time I ever hear you, heard you talk positive about Saudi Arabia, uh, saying, oh, the sunsets were so nice and the sand and everything. Sunsets are beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> just sunsets. It's only thing you can. Uh-huh. <laughs> thing you can say nice about Saudi. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. There's there's some good things. There's some bad things. There's mm-hmm. a big class uh, divide. Did there. you know that about your brother that he cared for you like that? I knew that. Yeah, I knew yeah. that he he was the first one to teach me how to draw. I didn't know that he changed my diapers mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, I think the other two brothers. They cared for me, but they didn't. I think Ben was, because I was a screamer when I was a child, I just came out screaming. Yeah. And Ben was the only one who could get me to calm down. Really? So they gave me to him to, like, change the diapers. Nice. And then and, uh, your mom, I guess, was just working really hard at this time She's and working, stuff like that? She's working, has stuff to do. She's also kind of, you know, I love my mom, but she can also just fly into fits of rage at any moment, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I, I think sometimes she would just, like, pass me off to Ben, you know? Yeah. It's pretty amazing that he sat there and he um, he toughed it out for you guys. Yeah, it's crazy. You, know, you, you had uh, you had someone looking after you the whole time. I'm an only child. I didn't get the uh, I didn't have any a chance for that. I spent a lot of time alone as a kid, and uh, I think that's why I'm so close with all my friends now. Is just because I didn't have anyone to yell at when I was a kid. You uh, you you obviously had a rough time coming back to America with your family, and you guys are oddly estranged but still you know you're still buddies you still all love each other um does this do you want to start a family of your own do you want to possibly have four kids and you know like and live in you know live in a weird part of the world and, and do all that or do you just you fuck it and just live on your own how do, how do you feel about that that's a good question i feel like my body feels like uh i should have kids but my mind um, knowing my childhood, growing up, I mean, I would spend one year in one place, one year in another, and my parents would say to me, Amber, don't make friends because you're going to leave this place soon. It's going to hurt you. So I don't know. I don't even know if I could give someone a life. I don't know what a childhood is. And I don't, um, I, I just don't think I would be a good mother. I think I would fly into fits of rage like my mother would. You think so? I mean, you're a very sweet woman. You you care for people, and you, you always try to be very polite, you know, and you always you try to be fair. I know that. Yeah. You know, I think you would be a decent mother. I don't think I don't think that I don't think you should say that. Uh, you brand yourself that at all? Maybe it does scare you. My mother has a histrionic personality disorder, and when, or at least I, I believe ninety nine believe so. And when you have a mother like that, it makes it very, it's very difficult to, to have children, especially mm-hmm. as a woman. I hear you. I got a, I got an interesting relationship with my mother as well. You know, she would fly into fits of rage and, yeah. and she would, you know, she used to beat the shit out of me when I was a kid. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like, Matt, it's like, Lord, she hit me with a bag of wood. She hit me in the face with a phone. She hit me with a baseball. She pulled a knife on me, God. you know, did all, all that crazy shit. But, you know, like, cause she would fly into those fits of rage uh-huh. and, you know, now, like, getting older, like, you love your mother, right? I do, but I had to leave home when I was 17. Yeah, and, and I, I had to leave home when I was 17. Yeah. You know, and so, and I also love my mother. And so it's just, a, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Where it's, I'm happy, you know, that we were a family and then we did exist, but, 
you know, looking back, it's like it was tough, but there also were these all great times as well. Yeah. And then uh, in going out and um, reconnecting with my dad uh, in Reno this past this past week was a was a, a good indicator of that. You know, because we, you know, it was it was weird. I mean, we had a you know borderline, you know, with with both of my both of my parents' abusive relationship, but at the same time, it was lovely. And it's you know, it's because where you were the kind of kid who got hit, right? If you messed up, you got smacked, right? Got hit, yeah, yeah, you get smacked, <laughs> and you know, so it's it's not necessarily. I'm not condoning child abuse. I'm just saying that you know, not making a bad child if you do that. You know, it's like. You know, when I when I messed up or my, my room wasn't clean, I got smacked and I cleaned my room. You know, it's just like no big deal. Yeah, there's there's also certain things. Like um, part of histrionic personality disorder is you've got to have the attention on you at all times, even mm-hmm. if it's bad attention. I remember one time she was um, she was making me sing a song to her new boyfriend. It was like, sing it. You sing it like this. But that was a song I sang at my dad's funeral. Uh. And I was like, Mom, I don't, I don't want to. She's like, why don't you sing the song? What are you? I'm not going to raise a weak daughter. Uh. And I just broke down crying. And then I told her later on, I was like, please don't tell anybody ever again. And she's like, I won't. Immediately. Everybody, Amber started crying because she's she's upset. I wanted her to sing a song. Oh, man. You know? It's so aggravating. Do you yeah. think your mom might be a narcissist? Maybe. I think it's one of those. Because histrionic and narcissism, they're, they're pretty close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what's histrionic or I don't, I've never even heard that before. It means, um, well, you can, I'm sure Mary can look it up. But it means you have to have all the attention on you, even mm-hmm. if it is negative which is also part of the reason why we had to keep moving because she kept getting fired yeah which is also a symptom of histrionic personality disorder yeah my mom has a very similar thing you know it came to like even if like i had a couple instances when i was a kid and like friends would die and uh it happened to me two or three times and i remember going to the funerals and she would like get she was very like mad like the attention was being brought off for her oh, and God. even to the even to this day you know if i go down and i if i visit her and i want to go see my cousins or my aunt my uncle you know it's just you know it's it's a, it's a big to do you know it's like it's like my time is with her it's it is, it is it is her time you know so it is a it's you know she gets jealous whenever i hang out with other people so it's it's uh you know it's half one way half the other and i get it too i mean i'm an only child mm-hmm. you know she's divorced she's not with anybody you know she needs the extra affection yeah and so it's that's that's what it takes dang 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 well, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about ed now right i guess so we've kind of been talking about me this whole time anyway we, we could just keep talking like yeah, this i guess yeah, yeah. The, the um yeah but i was a it, this last week was was crazy. It was supposed to be just like this fun, loving week for me. Uh-huh. We all went out to L.A., me, Henry, and Holden for the premiere of Characters, which was a lot of fun. That's great. And then I got sick the day, you know, right before going out there. And then yeah. I get out there, we go to the premiere, and right before the premiere, I get a call from my aunt telling me that my father's dying. Oh, God. And I haven't <coughs> talked to my dad in forever, four years. You know, and I haven't talked to him in four, and I haven't, I've only seen him once in the past 15. You know, so I'm like, I don't know. I don't, yeah, you know, I, and my whole thing is he just never like apologized for the, you know, the, the shit he did to me. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was like, I don't know if I want to go see him. I was thinking about it, and I'm sick on top of this. I got a fever. I'm laying. I'm trying to go to this premiere. I'm trying to like do like the one, my first premiere. You know, it's like the coolest thing ever. And then it's just like immediately being ruined. Fucking like Bob Odenkirk was there, and like Reggie Watts. It's like all these people I really look up to. And so I'm just trying not to keep it on my mind. So then we go to Baltimore to go to the cool-ass Cowman last podcast show, and I was just hanging out. 
And the whole time I'm just sitting there sick thinking like, am I going to go? Am I going to do this? You know, I'm just laying in the hotel room and I couldn't tell if like I was getting more sick just because of the stress of like the impending of like making up with my father or going out. I don't know if I'm going to make up. I don't know what's going to happen when I go out there. You know, I don't know if I'm going to go and like just want to punch him in the face. You know, I don't know like what my, how my attitude was going to be. And so I, you know, eventually I pulled the trigger. I, you know, pulled out my shiny new credit card and fucking put it all on there and, and, you know, got a hotel in fucking Reno, Nevada and, you know, went to the Cowmen show, did uh, sick as a dog, just a mess and like did my preacher bit, which fucking always like helps me out so much with my brain, you know, it's like really like kind of like freed my mind and let me reset and like, you know, get my, get myself going is, you know, and the, the, the speech always ends with, uh, with me screaming, I was put here by the devil to make sure you hate God. And I don't know why that always fucking, that always puts me in a weird place. You know, that always puts that, that, that saying just always, like, it's like, yeah, it's like we were, you know, like maybe we all were put here by the fucking devil, <laughs> you know, and it's, you, you get put in these situations and you got to work your way out of it and you are here for yourself. And it's, and it was, it was interesting and going out to Nevada, 17 fucking hours, uh, sitting there in Baltimore from noon to Baltimore, sick as hell, fever, carrying my big ass duffel bag, waiting in the cold streets for a bus to take me to a train, to take me to the airport, sat on the tarmac for two hours, missed my connecting flight in Phoenix, sat in Phoenix for four hours, finally got to Reno at 2 a.m. And then this whole time, like, my dad, I told my dad I was coming, you know, and it's all, like, real short conversations I'm having with him while he's laying in a hospital bed, too. And they're, they, had, uh, they, had, they ended up amputating um, one of his toes, and I got there right before the... the uh, the surgery and you know so he, he's gonna be okay my father was fine you know but it was a it was a very long and you know journey and I get out there and you know he's he's there with his new wife Sandra who's this political refugee from Peru you know and just wow. it's just like this really crazy situation it's just like this is like you know I hear the doctor is like he's like all right so Mrs. Larson and I'm just like ah man never heard that before that's kind of fucking aggravating you know it's not your birth mother yeah because it's her. not my mom it's not Mrs. Larson that's Sandra this woman from Peru you know is you know so but you know you get over it you know you you realize that it is okay you fucking and you know so then you're sitting there and then later on in the day my dad goes into surgery and i could sit there in the waiting room for two hours but i'm like fuck this i'm gonna go back to the hotel and take a nap because i'm sick as a dog and i'm not gonna sit in an uncomfortable hospital chair (coughs) for forever and i go back to the hotel i take my time you know i'm like i'm like you're you know i'm on my time you know that's kind of how i looked at it i was like you're going to get me when I choose to be there and when I choose not to be there. Yeah. Just Ubering back and forth to the hospital. And when I'm Ubering back to the hospital, this is the funniest fucking Uber driver I ever had my whole life. This dude was just like a 68-year-old fucking criminal. Big old hard beer beer belly, just like grizzled face, scarred up everywhere. And just talking about all the counterfeiting he used to do and the different like island jails that he spent time in trying to escape from and shit and how he was a bare knuckle boxer and he's like I still hit the bag every day and he had these gloves on and he took off his gloves and it was just like gnarled purple hands and then I was like and he's like so what are you doing here because I think people usually these criminals like to talk to me because they think I'm one of them because 
I look that way uh, with my beard and my hair. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm out here to see him. I'm gonna out here to see him. My dad, he's like, it's good you're making up with your old man. You go in there and you guys have fun. <laughs> he dropped me off at the fucking hospital and I got out. And this is like oddly poetic fucking criminal just like giving me, like cheering me up in a weird way. And it's just, it's a fucked up place. It's Reno. It's like, I, you know, he chose to live in Reno where everyone's like that. It's like, it's outcast from society in Reno. No one is a, no one's the people who were born there. Don't leave there. It's just, it is this weird mountain gambling desert. And it is just bizarre. I was walking through the casino that was attached to my shitty hotel and like gas stations have slot machines in them. You know, like every business, like the subway will have a slot machine. You know, it's like that kind of place. Everyone's chasing the dream, trying to get the dollar. Uh, they're like, they're thinking they're going to get it rich off a $2 hands of blackjack. $2 hands of blackjack people are playing for two hours. What? I saw... Everyone in there is walking, all old, decrepit, walking in on walkers. Fucking, I saw multiple people smoking, hooked up to oxygen machines. Mm -hmm. It was just like this bizarre, you know, scummy reality, you know, that resembled hell to me. It just, it really did. It was just this dry rain, but then it was like, it would, it would storm out of nowhere. And it was just this bizarre fucking town right when I got off the airport right when I got off the plane I got into a cab and I, I was joking around with the cabbie at two in the morning I was like so how is Reno these days and he's like it sucks it's <laughs> like that's pretty much what I thought it was gonna be you know then you know and so then I get to the hospital again and I meet Hector who is my uh 16 year old stepbrother which mm. is you know I've been an only child my whole life and then all of a sudden uh, I knew about Hector. You know, he's not my dad's birth son. You know, he's he, he's uh, Chandra's uh, son from another from another father. And I met him, and he is just the sweetest, kindest dude in the world. And he's just this really nice, and he just cares about my dad, our dad, uh, so much. And he's just, you know, I I couldn't I couldn't uh, I couldn't believe it. I bet he's had a hard life. Was he born in Peru? He was born in Peru. He was born in Peru. Uh, Lord knows the kind of childhood he had when they had to run out of there. I don't even know what their situation really was, you know, why they had to get out of there. But basically, I mean, it's my dad met her. I mean, he he met her when he was still with my mom, you know, which sucks, you know. But, you know, he, he saved them I, I, in a way, I think, it seems to me. And... You know, they, they came here and it was, you know, he was, he was telling me about it. I was asking him, I was like, well, how'd you guys meet and all that? And he's, and he's just like, you know, I looked at everything that how everything, everything went south with the whole family. Everything went south with me and my mom. And he was just like, it was like the one thing good that he could do was to save this family, was to save these two people. And he, he got them to America and he, and, uh, they're citizens now and they're married and they, and they care for him. You know, son, you know, my dad can't work right now, so I'm just working two jobs. She's working at Home Depot. She's a teacher in Reno with the fucking kids. Or, you know, she's at a middle school. There's drug dogs everywhere. They're fucking, they're horrible. The kids got bringing chains to school. You know, it's a fucking, Reno's the worst town on earth. You know, wow. and it's just, and so it's just, it's a bizarre way. And so it's, you know, by looking at how weird and, desperate their lives were it's just i don't know it, it to make you take it uh think about 
taking, I wasn't for, taking for granted about living in New York? No, I, I think it was more just I wasn't mad anymore. Mm. You know, once I saw that, you know, it's like, you know, in my mind, I guess it was like, oh, my dad ran off to have this, like, better, cooler life. And then, like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, no. It's like, I got the better, cooler life. Yeah. You know, I'm hanging out with your family. I'm hanging out with your sister, with with Jeff and, you know, with everyone in the family. And, you know, and, and he and he's the one who split off. And so it, I realized that he actually, you know, doesn't have this really cool, like, rich life that he... You know, but he's working at it and he is a better man now. And it is, you know, to accept that and and know that he isn't like he didn't go out there to be a scumbag. He didn't go out to Reno to gamble all his money away and be a piece of shit. You know, he went out there to to live with these people and, you know, be a good father. And he did turn his life around. And it's a. Uh, I guess that is the brighter side of this whole situation. And it made me respect him rather than then dislike him in a, in a way. And so it's, you know, I'm happy I'm going to have this relationship going forward with him, but it's a, it was a very interesting eye opening experience for me. And I haven't, uh, I haven't had anything like it in, in um, two or, you know, or before. That's great. Yeah, it is great. I mean, I don't know if it's great, but you know, you know, great would just be, you know, I'd have money and I'd be fine, you know. But like, <laughs> like we'd all like get together and my, you know, my my parents would still love each other, you know. But you know, it could all it could always be a lot worse. And you know, it, it made me realize that my dad did do a lot of shitty things in his life, but he's not a piece of garbage. Mm. You know, he's not. He's a human being who made a couple wrong decisions, and there is there is good in his heart. And, you know, he might have done stupid things to me when I was a kid. He may have made me wear a fucking garbage bag and eat, you know, pills so I could fucking shit a bunch. Uh, so I could make way for football practice, you know, but and, and play a football game. You know, he may have done mistakes like that. But, you know, he is a good guy. And, you know, not we all are humans. You know, we all are going to make bad mistakes. And I'm sure I've been done selfish things and that I shouldn't have done. And, you know, he has. And, you know, it's just weird. That's how it is. And to sit there and hold a grudge for all this time, it's just making everything worse for everybody. Yeah. And that was the realization I came to when I was out there. Sick as a fucking dog. Pissed off at the world. But realized, you know, I left in a, in a better place, in a better mood. No, I don't know. I feel good about it. Hey everyone, sorry I couldn't be in studio with Eddie and Amber this week, but I listened to their conversation about family and I of course listened to Amber's great interview with her brother and I just wanted to chime in and say a couple words about family on my own, um, especially since this show should be called Who Had a Shittier Childhood, um, but <laughs> I, think, I think I definitely would lose because I think my biggest problem is that I came from a family with with far too much love. Uh, I think at times it can be overwhelming. Uh, my mother is one of those people who just constantly worries about me and my brother. So often she uh, she would call me over the winter time recently and, and just say, Oh, Sina, I am so worried about you. What if you are stuck in the street and you don't have a scarf or a jacket and you haven't eaten anything and you don't have any money and your phone is dead, no one can call you, Cosmo is not around, your brother cannot reach you, no one is there, your father is dying, everyone is dead. What is going to happen? Donald Trump is president. 
So, uh, you know, those are those are kind of frequent weekly conversations I have with my mom. But at the same time, I also realize that she loves me so much and my dad loves me so much. And that love that I experienced as a kid is the love I try to put back into the world. And a lot of people don't get to have that opportunity where they get to have a family that loves them so hard. And I think part of it is because my parents escaped Iran after the revolution. They took my brother and they came to America and then I was born. I had no idea what they had gone through just to get to this country. And I think part of that makes me realize and be aware of of how difficult it is to be in a family, to keep a family together, and to just always lead with love. And that's the way I try to live and the way I try to do things. Now, Eddie, I'm so happy that you finally came around about your dad. I remember when we did the podcast on um, death of family members or dead parents, I believe. Uh, that was a really tough podcast. Amber and I, I know, were crying in that episode. But, Eddie, you were you were pretty strongly still upset with your dad. And I remember thinking even at that time, man, it has got to be tough to be angry for that long. It's got to be draining. And if you can just get over there, around that corner, and, uh, and it sucks that it took something tragic like this to make it happen. But, you know, at the same time, you're here now. You're leading with love, and it's great, and it's this wonderful experience that you get to have. And, Amber, when I was talking to you when you were in New Orleans, you sounded more grounded and happier. I mean, it sounded like there was a weight lifted off your shoulders. Sure, you were worried about a couple things, but I was just so happy to hear you sounded so so clear. And it was just great, great to hear you in that place. And I think the other stuff about family that I want to talk about briefly is that uh, we may not always get along with our family. I like to say my parents ran a long form con on me to get me to go to law school. Uh, and that, you know, basically my entire life has been to just make sure that they're happy with the things that I've done so that the sacrifices they made to get to this country are not in vain. So there's a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of expectation that I'm sure they don't even know that I've put on myself just so I can make sure that they're happy. And that's maybe not the best way to live life, but it's the way that I've been living it. And I know there's a lot of progress for me to make in that department. But there's also another part of family that's not blood related. It's your chosen family. And Eddie, you spoke to this about your friends, about not having any siblings. I think the chosen family can be your family. And I, I am happy with the blood family that I have. My brother and I are closer now than we've ever been in our lives. And I'm also really happy with the chosen family that I have in New York here. You know, the people that I've you know met through comedy, the people at the brighter side, you guys are my family, the people that I, you know, drink ayahuasca with, that sweet, sweet medicine, those people are part of my family now. And I'm happy that I'm at this point in my life where I can say that these people will always be there for me. And you know what? The thing is, this world is tough. I mean, hell, man, we, we could have Donald Trump as president. What are you, who are you going to look to when that happens? Are you going to look to your Facebook friends, Twitter, huh? You got to make strong relationships in your present life, in your in real life life. <laughs> you got to be there and be present with these people and engage them and go out with them and get angry at them and make up and then like have fun. And those are part of any relationship and that's important to do. Now, I won't go on droning on and on here for too much longer, 
But I just want to say that that this this is the kind of stuff we want to do on the brighter side, and maybe this is a more somber episode, and we've all had a lot of family stuff going on the past couple weeks, so we're sorry that we haven't been able to get the episodes out like we want to. But at the same time, you guys understand. You guys got problems. You guys got family stuff. Oh, and Mary, I feel like there's an entire episode on on why you you and your siblings have collectively not talked and spoken to your parents. So, I mean, I think there's a lot here that we can explore, especially in next season as well. I think there's so much about family that we have to constantly be struggling with and constantly be engaging and, 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 and uh, you know, and figuring out all the time. So, man, I really thought I had jokes at some point in this thing, but I realized I have no jokes and I just started emotionally talking about my family. Yeah, so that's it for me. I mean, that was just a quick one. But I love you guys. Can't wait for our next episode. And to all the fans, please reach out to us. Tell us about your family. If you're having a tough time, we'll be happy to talk with you. Leave us a voicemail. We'll listen to it. We're loving them. Thank you so much. This has been a somber episode. Very somber. Ed and I are both just sort of sitting here sipping on tea and seltzer and just like, tell us about your family. Yeah, there hasn't been a stinking joke this whole time. What about you, Mary? How do you feel about your fucking family? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have two sisters in Orlando that I'm very close to. However, we don't speak to our parents. Fair Um, enough. But maybe in the future, probably not with my father, but with my mother. Yeah. In the future. Yeah, no, I had a... It was weird. Yeah, it's been so long. Like I said, 15 years. And it just, you know, all it took was, you know, him to almost die. (laughs) (laughs) and then uh you're just like all right well you just got to come at peace with the wrong and you don't necessarily have to forgive i think you know i still you know i know what he did and you know what he did was shitty but uh i think there is hope you know in most situations yeah and uh Sometimes the death of the family brings people together. When my dad passed, my brothers and I were in the same room for the first time since I was eight, nine years old. Mm-hmm. You know? That's wild. <clears throat> yeah. All right, All right. guys. Well, well, this is great. I think we're going to, I think we'll take it, uh, I think we'll take it out on there. There uh, we go. Yeah. And uh, so basically what I'm trying to say is just, it's too, it's too hard to, to stay angry. It really is. And it's just, you don't have to be there all the time. You don't have to talk all the time, but just find a way to get at peace with it. You know, you don't have to, you know, like the person. You don't have to hang out with them all the time, but make peace and have it for your own brain. You know, not even for them, but for yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything else you want to add to that, Amber? Nothing. Nothing. Rock and roll. Mary, what song's taking us out this week? Uh, We're listening to Sugar Daddy by Ernie and Margie Crane. Sugar Daddy. That's what my father's become to this weird family. (laughs) All right, guys. Take it easy. This is the brighter side. We'll talk to you next week, and you all be good. We are cynics looking optimism. Rock and roll. more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.
I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.